Welcome to the Mycelium Network Podcast, a podcast for early stage web developers and the mentors, teachers, and communities that help them along the way. Thanks for joining us, Sharon. Um, welcome. Thank you. It's my pleasure to be here. We had a quite a quite a journey to make this one happen. <laughs> a lot of fun yes. stuff, but in the end, I'm glad we're here. Yes, likewise. This is going to be fun. So um, I've given a pretty broad introduction to to who you are and what you do, but do you care to expand on who Sharon Zitman is and more about these topics that I've already mentioned? Yes, uh, I love when people talk about me in the third person. It always makes me feel like my, Sharon Zitzman is. Um, so <laughs> these days, like I said, I, uh, I run RTFM, please, which is I'm doing developer relations as a service, um, which is really fun and puts me in front of um, some of the most exciting developer tools uh, and trends that are happening in the industry. And I made my way to this kind of uh, to this place. Uh, I went rogue uh, after uh, doing a few roles, consecutive roles in um, community and developer relations. So before this, I was head of user communities at Sneak, and before that, I and that's where we met, by the way. Uh, um, and before that, I was head of developer relations at AppsFlyer, and I got to those roles because I had built the open source developer community around um, a, a tool called Cloudify, which was a cloud orchestration tool. And when I finished uh, my role there as VP marketing after seven plus years, I had realized that the thing I enjoyed most was building these developer communities and fostering kind of the collaboration and peer sharing and all the things that are so important um, when it comes to really um, adopting, you know, develop, developer tools and stacks and everything else to make people succeed. So it's been fun. Yeah, that's super cool. And um, I, I... I'm glad that I, when you mentioned like all the great developer tools and stuff that you get to get in front of because of your role um, on RTFM, that is kind of perfect for what we're talking about. Because um, I think that is one of the areas that has improved so much since I used to, when I started. Um, that And I think, but with that said, I, I do think it's something that developers aren't exactly sure how to use when they just get started. They're not, they're not, entirely aware of all the tooling that's out there that can help them um, get up to speed faster and um, debug problems faster when they do run into issues. Um, are there any tools that you've come across in the recent, um, I don't know, year or so that, that you found is like particularly good to bring to the attention of people or tools that you generally find are really good um, to help you in the developer journey? Yeah, so first and foremost, um, I'm a big fan of the the tools that make things easy and provide a lot of context and have a very low barrier of entry to adoption. And that's why the majority of the companies that I work with are PLG companies, product-led growth companies, where they're, they're focused on, on the developer experience and the meantime to hello world and making sure that that's a really frictionless process and a well-documented process and, and making it very, very easy for um, even those that are not very familiar with the domain or the discipline to adopt the touring. Um, so a lot of the things that I'm seeing is everything kind of moving as code. We all know about like kind of shift left and the shift left manifesto and it started with quality and moved on to infrastructure as code. And now I'm seeing things like product as code and security as code. And so um, what's very interesting about all of this is that um, if before these were kind of walled gardens that were outside of the development process and developers didn't really have access to how 
these processes work and how they natively fit into their, um, you know, their workflows. Today, a lot of those barriers are being broken down because it's, it's clear that all of these processes need to start almost as early as the first line of code. So one of the companies that I work with, JIT, for example, um, is not only building a security as code platform where, you know, they um, help you build, you know, security plans as code um, that focus on the code and the infrastructure and the runtime and the container scanning, all the things that really comprise a real development kind of environment and workflow today. Um, they don't assume context, right? It's like assume, assume zero knowledge. So if we take a look at this mycelium network that is really, really awesome and helping kind of, um, you know, early and junior engineers kind of find the tooling and find their ground and find their feet. Um, one of the things that um, is, is, I guess, most daunting in the security world, for example, is is that barrier to entry, that, that lack of knowledge, that domain expertise. Uh, and one of the things that they're trying to bridge the gap is, is by enabling commonly, um, you know, commonly accepted best practices and plans and checklists and even the, like industry level ones like SOC 2 and compliance standards through like AppSec programs that are like kind of um, in consensus as the as commonly accepted, you know, um, good practices uh, when securing software or OWASP top 10, which is widely accepted and, and baking this into the product from the ground floor for developers who want to secure their product but don't necessarily have security security expertise to be able to do that from the first line of code based on someone who has done the research, who has curated the, uh, the knowledge and, 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 you know, made it very, very easy for, for a young developer to consume. So that's like just in the context of security, but I'm seeing this from the product perspective as well. Lifecycle are trying to break down the silos between development product, UX, UI, and bring everyone into the same platform, like in a single contained collaborative like environment and, and I'm seeing also um, developer experience coming to the center. And when we talk about developer experience, it's not like a buzzword. It's, it's in the context of, you know, really enabling developers to take ownership and, and learn quickly and have very little friction in their processes. And so some of the things that have arisen over the years, like Git, Git is ubiquitous. It's ubiquitous to like all of our processes. And Git is hard. It's still hard for people that have been using Git for years. I open oh shit kid all the time excuse my language that's what the website is called to remember what command i'm running and what i you know and so i'm also working with a company that's hoping to do a hard reset on git because git does not have a great developer experience they want you know autocomplete they want you know your commands to be saved they want so many things that a lot of developers need to make it easy to make it easy for us to work and not constantly have like this cognitive load of what did I need to remember? What did I need to know? And why don't I remember this command? And why is this so hard for me when others think it's easy? So that's, that's what I'm really liking in the trends around developer tools. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I totally agree. Because I, I oftentimes I find myself feeling kind of like I am um, I'm blanking on the word now. But basically, what I'm trying to get at is I'm you, you tell people when they get into code, um, that it's not about the code, the code more than off more often than not is the easy part. It's the problem solving thing. So if you're getting into um, the coding into the software industry, don't think about what necessarily what kind of it, it's important to know what tools you like and to, you know, learn them well, of course, that it's like with anything, carpentry, anything you want to, you want to know the tools to use the best tool for the, um, for the project at hand and be good with your tools. But the real 
clincher for a software industry is the ability to problem solve, the ability to take a complex problem, break it down into smaller bits, and then define actionable items that you can address. Then you start designing, then you start writing the code. And the harder part is more often than not actually solving the problem, being able to cognizantly understand what the problem is and having a, an idea of how you can solve this. So we talk a lot about that. But then people are like, sure, but learning to code is hard. What are you talking about? That's the easy part. And it's because I think the stuff that you've touched on now is, is the missing link between those two things, is that the tools also around the coding, like Git, for example, oftentimes aren't as easy as we'd like to think they are. Maybe it's because we've using, been using it for a long time and we forget about how we struggle. Or um, we've gotten into a routine with a set of tools that we are so comfortable with that it's almost like breathing. So for us, focusing on the problem-solving part is really the hard part, the interesting part, and writing the code is the easier. But you often have to shift your modality, shift your thinking back to, but what if I was just starting and I was presented with a problem? My mind immediately is going to go to, oh, goodness gracious, I don't even, how do I get this thing online? Like I did a live stream the other day where I was talking about atomic design principles because I found that um, a lot of uh, new uh, engineers building websites have this massive CSS file um, because they don't understand the concept of breaking it down into components and they, they even don't know that you can import one CSS file into another one. So even though, and, and, and back in the day, this is something we used to say, right? You have one CSS file that you serve because of performance, but with HTTP2, that isn't that big of a deal anymore, right? You can potentially have 10 CSS files and it, it should still be okay. But I mean, and you have bold tools these days that allow you to work in a way that is productive by breaking your stuff up into smaller components and then have a bold step to combine that into one or two or three CSS files that's then served to the end user. People don't know this. So they end up with this big CSS file that gets hard to maintain. And again, this is not knowing your tools well enough. So that's where, where the missing link is. But what I found is when I talk to these people about it, it's like a revelation to them. It's like, oh, that's that's how you manage to like keep your head about you when you're just creating a simple website. So I think the tooling is there and I think the developerations aspect is also what, something that, that, that needs to be um, improved upon. I think, um, I think oftentimes we talk to people who already know instead of talking to the people who are still really learning um, the thing. So it's great to know that, and I think GetUp has done a lot here, right, with Git. Um, it's, it's abstracted away a lot of the complexities of, of get to the point where it's like a UI that you just, a website that you interact with. Um, but you can't, you can only go so far before you have to eventually open the terminal. And, and, and that's where I think um, a lot of work can be done to improve it. Um, like for example, uh, the GitHub CLI, that, that does help a lot, um, but it has a learning curve itself. So, and I think that, I don't know if you want to expand on that first before I keep talking. <laughs> I would like to actually touch on a couple of things that you said there. Um, so I, I agree. So, I, so one of the things that's, as you know, the person who runs DevOps Days, tell me one of the people on the team, and I've been doing it for nine years. One of the concepts that I always loved uh, from DevOps Days, Tel Aviv, was like kind of an early piece, an integral piece of this conference, was what they call open spaces. And what open spaces fostered was this ability for like 
folks to come together around a topic that, that they're interested in. And there's this, this concept in open spaces called the law of mobility. So if it's interesting to you, you'll join this session. And if it's not, you'll move on to other sessions and you'll join and you can be either a bee, which is the person who kind of buzzes and kind of helps like lead the session, or you can be a butterfly just listening on the wall and kind of learning and taking in the uh, information. But why that, that's important, that unconference sort of format is that people rally around a real problem that they're trying to solve, we're trying to figure out. And I remember in the very early days of, uh, of DevOps days, people were still talking about chat ops. How do you actually even use chat ops? How do you integrate it? How do I use it in my Slack? How do I use it in other tools? Um, how, how is it actually actionable? What, what can I get out of it? And people actually felt comfortable in these small circles that rallied around a certain topic to ask questions about like really simple things that they would be afraid to ask. Like if somebody's doing a talk on a stage and it sounds so advanced and, and you're a noob and you're sitting in the crowd, you don't want to ask like, hey, how do I, you know, how do I build my CSS files? You know, you're not going to ask that. But if you're sitting in a, a little like kind of group of people that are talking about like where CSS has evolved to from then to now, and then, you know, you're in a smaller group, a safer group, you might actually feel comfortable to ask these questions. And I feel like more conferences many times um, talk at you and don't necessarily kind of include you in the conversation. And then the people that are sitting in the room that have a lot of questions, <laughs> they don't know necessarily how to ask them. And that's why I like to consider community not one day or not one conference a year, not one event a year where you can have a place that kind of fosters a conversation and people can feel um, comfortable to ask questions and learn from their peers. And um, and I agree, I think a lot of the, the time in conferences and tech conferences, they'll, they'll focus on the, um, on the tech, on the, on the, the technical side of things, but sometimes the culture side of things is even, uh, important. Like, what are the best practices for opening your first XYZ project? What does this look like? What are, what's the baseline? What, what are, what's the framework look like? What are, you know, some, you know, and, and kind of bringing, the more simple fundamentals and primitives in front of folks, because a lot of things are so abstracted up the stack these days that it's hard for juniors to learn what's happening under the hood. It really is. Yes. Yes. I, I hear that a lot there. Um, I'm, I'm good until something breaks, then I'm stuck because I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how yeah. to find, find why, why it's breaking. Um, I don't know how to fix why it's breaking. I don't even know what is breaking sometimes i just know that and error messages are so esoteric half the time you're like this gives me zero context i have no idea what this means everything's yes. on fire and <laughs> yeah yeah i ran into that just yesterday i was helping a colleague um with git strangely enough and um but it wasn't git that was the problem it was the error message being produced from a build process that was the problem. It was basically saying something along the lines of um, cannot call, uh, oh, I'm able to read property to lowercase from undefined. I was like, oh, that, 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 that's massively specific. Okay, cool. So what, do, what can we deduce from the statement? You're trying to call a function called to lowercase, cool, that's a web API thing, a JavaScript function that takes a string and then lowercases it. So obviously what's on the left is the thing that's undefined. So instead of saying string dot to lowercase, you're getting undefined dot to lowercase and you can't do that because undefined doesn't have a to lowercase function. Okay, cool. What is the thing that's undefined? And that took me down a road of saying, okay, cool, at least here is a little breadcrumb that it happened in this file on this line. Thankfully, I had that to go with. So then I had to go and 
clone the whole thing locally to my local computer, put in some console log statements around the area where this is happening and try and spit out as much information to me as I possibly can to find out that in the end of the day, it was a file that was missing front matter. And because it was missing the front matter, the string key it was expecting was undefined and it was trying to call to lowercase on that. So, and I was like, what would have been super cool is if it said, unable to call to lowercase on undefined because of missing front matter key in this file. Yeah. That would have been like, oh. Very helpful. And you do have that context at that point in the code, right? When I was putting in the console log statements, I could get to the problem because the information was right there. I could log it out to myself and say, give me the path you're reading. Give me the front matter keys you're trying to read so that I can see which thing is undefined. So all the information is there, but it wasn't exposed to the user of the API. And I think that is that is where a lot of people, new people also, they hear like everything is an API. You need to use APIs from day one because that's how everything is done. And they try to use an API and then the API gives them this like non-deterministic error message and they're like okay something's broken i don't even know what's broken i don't know where and they throw up their hands and i think then you do the thing that humans do is you criticize yourself instead of saying maybe the documentation is badly written maybe the api isn't well it didn't they didn't think about the user they thought just i know what's going wrong so everybody should know and you instead of doing that you're criticizing yourself and saying i think i'm just too stupid for tech and it's like no you're not you're not. Don't go there. <laughs> Don't go there. Yeah, that's it. I see that. I mean, tech is such a high barrier to entry because developer experience is only something that's happening now, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Previously, you would have all of these, I don't know, like um, exceptionally talented people building tech, but it wasn't at the center of developer experience. The, the person who's actually using the product eventually and how they actually get it to you know, how to ramp up, how to integrate it into environments. Like I remember years ago when I, when I was still building the Cloudify um, tool, like when I was still building that developer um, experience there and it was doing developer relations and developer experience and product led growth and all of these things that didn't have a name or a methodology, mm-hmm. you know, seven years ago. Um, but it was clear to me that when I want people to use my product, I want them to have a great experience and I want them to understand. And I remember just fostering the mindset of no, the product is not ready. If the documentation is not ready. Like I would say this to like the developers and they'd be like, no, I, I shipped the feature. I'm, I'm done. I'm like, you're not done until you document it. And then you get documentation. It's half the time. It's kind of in the middle of, of a thought, right? Because the developer created this feature. So they know everything, all the prerequisites that come before actually getting to this point and that's all of the stuff. Those sorts of gaps were the things that I helped this team overcome and understand. And I said to them, okay, you built this feature and you have this whole environment set up and you have all of this stack that you know what it is in order to get to this point. Nobody else has that information. Even if that information exists earlier in the documentation, reference it. Prerequisites in order to run this new feature are having this setup, having this setup, read it here, you know, whatever it is, reminding you to um, set up your environment like this, or, you know what I mean? Whatever it is, having these web books in place, but you can't just start in the middle of the story and expect somebody to know um, 
how to how to work with your product tool feature or whatever it is. And that's something that's only now like kind of coming to the center stage with the maturity of developer relations and developer advocacy and developer experience being such a critical piece in dev tooling. Um, and that's exciting. It's an, it's an exciting place to be, but I think that there are still tools that, you know, are exist in our stack that aren't, that are very mature and that, you know, weren't born into like a cloud native and kind of world that we're in right now um, that still have gaps in that area. And, and then that's what happens. Like a, a junior developer will feel like, oh, I don't know what I'm doing. I shouldn't even be here. And that's not the truth. The truth is that historically this just wasn't a focus. And now it's getting more attention. And that's a great thing. And it's a great trend. But we need to do the work to bring our, um, our existing tooling up to speed. Yeah, yeah, and I mean that—that's one of the reasons I started the podcast because I think we don't speak to the people who who are experiencing these problems. We're not asking them where where are you getting stuck, where are you getting mm-hmm. burned, why do you feel that you you don't belong? And not all of that is tech. Like some of I'm um, technical. Some of that is community. Some of that is um, fostering a welcoming uh, community for people that they feel comfortable in to ask those questions. Like you said, you sit at a conference; it feels like people. are talking at you and you're too scared to ask a question because you think the whole room's going to say, you don't know how to make CSS into separate files. Wow. Sad. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's like, no, 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 that, that's not, that's not the environment we we want to create here. We want to create an environment because we always say no stupid questions, right? But do we really mean it? Because it oftentimes feels like we say that, but we don't really mean it because when people do ask, that to us might be an obvious question. The answer we give is oftentimes like not helpful. It's it's mm-hmm. kind of like the intent behind it feels like, oh boy, I asked for something really dumb now. I should just go away and not and then and that's what happens. People do go away. They they do stop speaking up inside a Discord server on Twitter. Um, and in these all these social spaces on GitHub, people are too scared to contribute on GitHub because it's in the oh, anybody can see what I'm saying and they're going to judge everything I say. And what if my stuff's just right. not good enough? Um, we should change the the thinking around this. We should change how we communicate this to people because opening a pull request, having it closed, is not the end of the world. It is sometimes the thing you proposed was just not the right thing at the right time, and it might it's probably not your fault. It's probably because you did not understand the problem because it wasn't documented well enough. You thought you found a problem that was actually intended in the way it is, but it wasn't communicated well to you. I, I mm-hmm. ran into this two weeks ago where I opened up a request and somebody was like, no, that's as intended. And I was like, well, that's not super obvious because for me, I was new to your API or to your library and using it in this way you didn't tell me how to import the thing into my node file it was nowhere i had to figure it out on my own and and so that's why with the purukas because i thought other people will probably run into the same situation oh no that's as intended it's like can you explain why that's as intended (laughs) yeah i love those types of answers that's like uh, okay that's by design uh okay well can we unpack that (laughs) yeah would you consider Changing the design maybe a little bit <laughs> as it's not obvious. Because we love our code. Our code is the best and most beautiful and most perfect. Um, I, yeah, that, that's a very good topic there. I don't know if we want to expand on that, but I think that is. <laughs> Do that we have time for that? <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's a, yeah. 
It's a problem. And so I, I completely agree. Um, I actually did want to touch on something that you had mentioned to me a second. I have to think about it. Uh, there was something good that you had talked about. In all of that, there was a lot of good. There was a lot of gold. Um, I lost it, but we'll come back to it. But um, cool. yeah, I completely agree. Cool. Yeah, one of the things that I think, and we, I think we touched on a lot of topics, um, and so for somebody new to, let's let's take a specific area, let's take web development. Um, what do you think are the important things for people to know when, when they get started? If you had to, like, if somebody came to you and said, Tyrone, I, I'm doing X and I want to get into web development, like, where would you send them? What would you tell them? I know it's a, it's a broad um, topic, but... I know. Yeah. So, um, so first of all, I'll actually be honest. I'm not an engineer. Um, I, I work with uh, engineers and I understand developer workflows and I understand technical stacks and a lot of things. And I actually myself have tried to learn to code a few times, but then I just, um, it really is something that you need to work at and it's not something that comes easy. I won't lie. It's, um, and so if you feel like it's taking you time and it's taking a lot of energy, that's, that that is the way it is. It's not it's not an easy process. It, there's there is a high barrier in learning to entry and learning curve to learning to code. And so you're fine. You're on the right track. There are a lot of really great communities that help and foster and support uh, engineers. And like for example, Saranya Barks Code Newbies community, where it's like a safe place um, for for junior engineers to ask questions. There's a lot of good content and resources out there, but there are really a lot of good communities um blanking on the community that um that i really love that i started to learn to code from um so i know there's learn with leon which is very popular the 100 devs one and then there's free code camp which is also free code camp free code camp free code camp is amazing and they have a lot of resources and they have a really great blog and they have a lot of stuff that um they have a lot of courses like for on udemy or even on youtube that are free that like that walk you through a real process where you can feel a lot of the times the the code is is oftentimes decoupled from an end goal and then you don't essentially understand um how it applies how does it apply in the real world what, what does it do and so a lot of the things that i that i've discovered is building a really small and lean app helps you have like kind of an end goal and a place that you want to get to like i've ever like card shuffling apps or things that like eventually you learn how what this code what i'm writing here looks like in a final product and why it's important why all of these steps are important to get to an end place is really important to kind of completing that journey um so it's not just theoretical it's actually applied and you can experience that thing that you learned in in you know an, an end kind of well-crafted uh project um so that's something that um i've, I've like is, is highly recommended. So if you're starting to learn to code and you're going through like these lessons, try and find something lean and small. And, and I really, in the context of DevOps, again, um, that's, that's the role that I'm like kind of really active in, but there's the concept of Kaizen, like the um, small wins in aggregate eventually translate to big gains. Um, that comes from the Japanese supply chain kind of um, mindset. And I really believe in that as well. So, Every time you have like a small win, celebrate it and, and kind of see how, what you've learned. And then eventually you'll find that all of those like small wins in aggregate, you'll, you'll find that you made a lot of progress and that you, you're, you know a lot more than you think that you, that, that you do. And you've made, you know, um, 
you've achieved quite a bit. So that, I think that's also important. And so there are a lot of really great communities like Code Movies and Free Code Camp and Learn With Leon and The 100 Days and, and a lot of things like that. But there are also great tools. And like I said, I'm exposed to a lot of really great developer tools. And one of the ones that I think is actually extremely interesting, and I think that they have a, a lot of potential in helping developers skill up, is, um, is a tool called Wilco. Um, that was just recently unveiled and came out of stealth. And what they're trying to do is create real world modules and environments, um, that help engineers have true access to production systems or, um, real programs and collaborative workflows and things that they don't necessarily, they can't necessarily learn from an Udemy course or, or from, you know, some kind of, um, self learning, um, module of some sort. This provides them kind of more of a real world kind of um, experience, experiential way of coding. Um, they have uh, mock teams, mock data, um, production systems that they integrate with and other things that provide you more of a um, skilling up opportunity for what it would really look like to work in a real world engineering organization so that you can get to that place where you feel confident enough to go and to interview and talk about the things that you know how to do in a real world environment. I think that those are the things that are going to be coming. Um, you're going to be sending, seeing more trends around how we take, you know, theoretical knowledge and get it to be applied in real systems or help people make that bridge that gap to making it into the real world. Cause that is still hard. There's still a lot of friction there. There's still a lot of self-learning and self-doubt, um, and don't feel that way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's not easy. Yeah, it's not I, a paved road yet. <clears throat> no, not at all. Not at all. I think that's the other thing that we didn't touch on really, and that is the fact that one of the other things that's part of coding is to work on a team. Um, and that, what what does that mean? What does that mean to work on a team? How does like even like People that's on GitHub these days kind of talk about GitHub as if everybody knows what GitHub is and how to do it and how to use it. And that's not true. Like not everybody does. Even when you're just talking about the website itself, you're not even talking about terminal and uh, the, the depths of Git. You're just talking about GitHub itself. Um, what is a pull request? What, what is an issue? Why do I do an issue before a pull request? What's up with that? And like, how does pull request review work? And um, what does it mean if somebody has given me feedback? How do I incorporate that feedback? Because that's often where the terminal has to come in, because it's kind of tricky if you've opened the pull request, now somebody gives you feedback, you have to amend it. How do I do that? I think there's a lot of education around that topic that needs to happen. And I think some of that the only real way that you can get experience is by working on a project. And I feel like that's a loop that a lot of newbies get themselves into. It's like, oh, I need experience. How do I get experience? I need experience, but how do I get the experience? So that's, that's yeah. why as part of, I think a lot of communities do this. And it's also something I consciously do with the Mycelium network. And that is um, offering any kind of side project where people can work together like you would work in a working environment, creating a project, um, defining the, the problem, defining the solution, and then working from there. Okay, now what code do we need to write? Okay, let's assign tasks to people to do, and you'll open a pull request for your task, and then we'll have somebody that comes in and do code review for you, and then it gets merged, and then it ends up somewhere. 
like how what is that somewhere and how does it end up in that somewhere? Because that's the thing I wanted to mention earlier that I find people ask so many times is, okay, I'm on my local machine and I have this web page that you taught me how to build. How do I get it on the internet? And do you think like we're in 2022, it should really be that easy? And it, it kind of is if you know the right tools. But if you don't know the right tools, that is a mystery. That is like, wow, I enter a, a, a URL and there's this website. How does that happen? Like that is something that a lot of people don't know. Yeah, uh, I agree. Like even so that's when I was saying like um, you'll go to these tech conferences, you'll see tech talks, but sometimes it's just culture. Like what is a real world end-to-end CICD deployment to production process look like? What does that look like? What are the gates that are in the process? What are the guardrails? Where's the friction? You know, what's the interaction? What does branch protection look like? Why do I need this? How do I work on a branch? How do I merge it into, you know, like these are the processes that you only gain from, from real work. It's not something that it's, it's like, it's the, it's the meta information. It's the meta, it's the metaverse of like programming and coding. And it's some of this knowledge is just like kind of inherent to, you know, senior developers that they don't even remember that there are these, these really small gaps of like, yeah. Okay. Now how do I actually p- deploy my, you know, local web page to, and connect it to a domain and then have it like live and breathe in the real world. How do I even do this? Um, it's like these small little last mile steps that we forget that people need to be onboarded to as well, even just on the process side or on the, you know, simple, a kind of um, closing the loop, right? Okay. The code is done. The, everything is set up, the network, we have the, the cloud, you know, configure, everything is there. All right. Now, how do I bring all these pieces together? What's the duct tape? What's the magic, right? People don't, don't always know these things. And, um, and that's also, that also comes back to the name of my company is RTFM, right? But that, that, that's exactly the problem. RTFMing, everything is just too hard. There's too much information, right? There's too many things to learn. There are too many aspects. You talk about people, you know, there's so many titles these days. These inflators are like full stack engineer and just being getting expertise in front end or back end is hard. Now you want somebody to be expert in everything and everything comes between the duct tape between full stack and uh, there's middle stack now these days. Middle stack. How do you connect front end and back end? Uh, well, how does my you know database actually talk to my uh, you know to my web page? You know, like these are things that are that are not as intuitive as people imagine and think, right? Um, and and cultivating this expertise takes time. They say that expertise takes about twenty years to cultivate, right? It's twenty years of hands-on working knowledge. They say to become an expert at something, you need about twenty years of experience, and you are always learning. You're constantly learning new things. Even senior engineers, like, oh, like, oh, wow, I had no idea that this, you know, this endpoint could be exposed, or this product, you know, this uh, this could be used, or this fe- there's this feature even exists, or. Um, so don't, don't feel like just because you're new that you're learning new things, you'd be surprised that there are senior engineers that learn new things every single day. Um, and the tools are evolving and everything is evolving and everything is evolving under our feet. You know, like we used to work on servers. Now we're in like serverless. Okay. What does that mean? Everything needs to now be defined. Like, you know, it's crazy. It's crazy how fast everything is moving and the expectation that you need to know everything. You can't know everything. You, You just can't. No, you cannot. It's it's not possible. Um, I don't think our brains are made for that, and I don't think it's an healthy way to do it anyway. Because you'll fill your mind, your brain up with so much information that you just have to unlearn constantly. Because this industry is not done, right? It's not close to being done. It's evolving. It's growing. It's we're we're doing stuff 
then doing it differently because we think it's better and then only to end up going back to how we used to do it because it turns out this new idea wasn't so great or it wasn't as as successful. That is part of tech because tech is kind of as a science, right? You get a, a computer science degree. And the re- reason I think personally um, it's called, it's associated with science is because we're constantly experimenting and we're trying to find answers through experimentation. And as with science, oftentimes it leads you to understand that you were trying to solve the wrong problem. And then you have to go back and say, okay, what is the real problem? Because clearly I misunderstood it the first time. Like if you think about the whole idea of static site generators and stuff like Dentlify, that's not really new. The way it's being offered is new and it and it's definitely helps a lot. But I mean, we used to do that in the days when we FTP'd stuff up to a server. You would have static site on your You have the static site on your local machine. You had a dial-up internet, and you had yeah. like a dial-up internet, and it's like, and it takes like two hours. Your FTP is just like copying files, and in the meantime, somebody updated the file, and it's like you have to restart. Oh, got to restart. And see, I remember those days too. I remember that. That's the those were the, those were the days. But yeah, so so it's true. Like the cloud, or like you know, high speed internet, and all these things made all these processes faster. But not many of them have actually even evolved or changed that much. They've just looked different because okay, so now my files are hosted, great, and I have access to them very very easily because of the internet or because of the cloud. Because of what, but like kind of the um, method, the methodology, the framework. Yeah, it's it's. It's very similar. And I think that that kind of similarity helps in that it helps lower the barrier of entry because it's familiar, right? They say like kind of, even when you talk about like uh, even web experience, right? A lot of the web pages look the same because people have like this tendency to scroll in a very specific way and they expect like the menu to be here and they expect the the image to be here. And and, and the, the more familiar it is to them, the easier it is for them to adopt, right? And that's why... Android was a clone of iPhone and, and, a, and a bunch of examples like that. Um, but yeah, so I, so I agree. I think that a lot of the things that we try to change and evolve and make completely different and, and do a hard reset on, and then we discovered, okay, maybe the older practices were the right ones, but they just need to be introduced into the new world or have, you know, better, you know, experience or better, uh, you know, interfacing or um, better support or backup or a cloud or, you know, and be hosted and easily collaborated upon. And so I think the world is moving to the right place in terms of how we work together. I think COVID has taught us a lot about that, but how to uh, work in distributed, remote, you know, collaborative operations. And I think a lot of the dev tooling um, being introduced puts an emphasis on that and how you collaborate better, how you communicate better, embedding like kind of communication into, into tools, uh, commenting, uh, context, and, and a lot of things. And, and, and I'm hoping that that's going to be kind of a continuation and it's just going to get better from there. I really do think Netlify took a well-known concept and they just implemented it better. And sometimes yes. that's the right, right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No, for sure. I, I take nothing away from Netlify. I absolutely love what they do. I love their product. I use it literally every day. Um, and, and they do a lot to um, educate people around how to use their tools. Because I think that's what, what's also sometimes missing is people create a great tool, but um, that they know how to use. And some of it's obvious, but some of it's not. And I think a lot of questions um, people new to the industry have is, when do I need to start caring about X? When do I need to start understanding Y? 
And I think that, so that is something I feel is definitely missing is um, a pathway to follow. And I think one of the reasons why there aren't very many of those is because it's really hard, right, in tech, because it's so diverse. Because like you said, there's all these roles, like front of the front, front end, middle, back end, full stack. It's like, okay, cool. So first, maybe I need to pick one of those. Do I? It's like, no, not really. What am I? Who am I? Yeah, it kind of helps. You have identity crisis. Exactly. So it's, you know, it's hard. And I think that's part of the reason why there isn't pathways because it's hard to define a clear pathway. But again, like what Netlify has done, something old, made it new um, and better. I think we need to incrementally improve that as well. I think one of the other things where it's like, uh, where there's a lot of work needed is testing. Like even me, as a person who's been coding for quite a long time, how many of my projects really have good testing? Not a lot, because it still doesn't feel like it fits into my workflow. Like there's all these modern tools and stuff, but it still somehow doesn't just naturally fit in. It's kind of, it's still an afterthought. And as soon as it becomes an afterthought, you forget about it because other things take priority. And you say, you always say, I'll, I'll still add testing. I'll still add testing, but you end up never doing it. I mean, I work with some clients that have really big projects with little to no testing because it's, it's not easy. It's not baked into my workflow. So I'm going to not do it because I need to land this feature or I need to fix this bug. And yeah, sure, if we had testing, we would have found it earlier. We maybe would have been able to fix it um, quicker. But because it doesn't fit into my workflow, it's just never getting done. Yeah, exactly. And that's the kind of thing that I even opened with. Like that's how oftentimes people thought about like things like security as well. And so that's I'm happy to see like kind of that undergoing a revolution as well. And and I think um, testing also needs to find its way uh, have a more native and smooth transition into into development processes, maybe automate the things that are obvious, but, you know, obviously like, um, a lot of the things around testing automation makes it feel like, um, like provides too many fault, like you know, same way as security, false positives, uh, things that aren't relevant and it, it can never really be a replacement for a human, um, or manual intervention. Then we're like, well, we hate testing. This sucks. <laughs> I don't. It's bad. It's too much friction, and I hate it. So there, it probably also needs to undergo an evolution that makes it a lot more natively integrated into processes. Because yeah, quality is important, and not even just from the security side, which is like bugs and things like that that can be that it can expose user experience. When people are using your product and enjoying your product and thinking um, it works well, and 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 those are things that are critical as well. So. Um, it's, it's it's strategic. It's business critical. So we have to think about how we bring that to the forefront as well. And there's so many areas that need to undergo this evolution. And I think they will. I think a lot of that is coming kind of to, to the front. Developers are the new decision makers. Um, and also um, with the growth and scale and, you know, size of everything that, that's happening, um, there, there is a, a skill shortage. There's a, there's a gap, and we need to be able to onboard our engineers quickly. We need them understanding our tooling rapidly. We need them to bring value rapidly, and all of that can only happen when we simplify our tools and make them easier, easier to adopt and, and learn and integrate well into well-known processes. Um, mm -hmm. and, and everything needs to undergo that, everything. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah, this has been great. Um, I think I have two final things uh, before we wrap up. The first one is, with all of this, 
like so many things going on, so many areas that need improvement, so much to learn. How do you stay motivated? I find it exciting, <laughs> to be honest. I think uh, it's very, very interesting to see all this happening and to have the uh, opportunity, the privilege to see where we were and where we've gotten to. Um, I'm old. <laughs> I'm not young. I'm not young in this industry. So I, uh, I have had that privilege of seeing kind of, yeah, like you say, like years ago, we were copying files to FTP. Now we're working in the cloud and that's way better. And so I have like the, the hope that like, you know, this, and this is what keeps me motivated in that things are only always improving and getting better. Um, the experience is something that's at the forefront, whether it's the developer experience, the user experience, and making sure that everything is great um, because that's what matters eventually. We want using people using our product. We want people uh, getting ramped up easily, whether it's on the build side or on the user side. Um, and th that keeps me motivated because I think that it is um, – it is an exciting thing to watch and see, to be a part of a trend and an industry that's constantly evolving and changing. You're constantly learning. And I like to be in my growth zone. So that also motivates me. Um, but yeah, it gets hard. There's friction. There are things that are, you always constantly are learning. There's, you'll never, you know, you'll never learn everything. Like, and like you said, you always feel like, you know, there are gaps and things to overcome. But the thing that you should be motivated is knowing a few things. First of all, community has become um, a really core piece of, of, um, of, development these days there are almost no developer communities you know, developer like kind of I mean, languages or whatever it is that don't have communities and there are plenty of people um that that will be happy to help you and mentor you and once upon a time we didn't have the internet we didn't have forums we didn't have reddit we didn't have communities we didn't have meetups um people had to figure it out on their own now you do have peers in the industry that you can learn from and i think that that's really exciting and that should keep you motivated and you have friends to the journey that, that can join you. And one of the things, uh, now I remember what I wanted to say earlier is that um, I've always loved the Apache Software Foundation sentiment, and maybe they don't apply it as well as they should, but the, the open, friendly, welcoming, and patient kind of mindset, um, the um, zero tolerance for toxicity. And I think a lot of communities are, are enforcing these types of things that are being welcoming, friendly, patient, listening, wanting to help. Um, and so I think that, that that should keep you motivated. Don't think that you're alone on this journey. Don't think you're the only person that's had difficulty. Don't think that you're not good enough. You know, don't let the imposter syndrome win. Um, and I think that is something that I can really, I, I have so much appreciation for the people that take from their time like you with this podcast and others and surrounded Barrick and all the things that have been built in order to make this easier, to make this transition easier, to make people feel that they have a space um, and, and a safe space. So that's wonderful. That keeps me motivated. That's awesome. Thanks so much, Sharon. Um, I'm glad we finally had this talk because it was really, really good. Um, so in closing, is there anything you'd want to bring to the attention of people? Any um, closing words you'd um, like to share with the community out there? Uh, sure. Yeah, so I run the TLV community, TLV community on uh, Twitter and uh, tlvcommunity.dev. Right now, uh, our upcoming event is DevOps Days Tel Aviv, um, which is more on the system engineering side. But if you have something to share and you want to get involved, the Call for Papers is open until August 31st. And we love to have everyone from the global community, from the uh, from junior talks to senior talks. It's from what I call noob to ninja. Everybody is accepted. We really want everybody to come and have a good experience and learn things. 
So please don't uh, hesitate to either get involved and submit a talk or even just join us. Um, and and our community as well, where we're very, um, there are a lot of really great community initiatives at least coming out of Tel Aviv, like Op School, which trains junior operations engineers and other things. And um, if you're looking to get involved and have mentors, um, there's this really great mentoring project that was started on Twitter in, in the Tel Aviv area, if you're from Tel Aviv, um, where there's like this spreadsheet of people that have um, that have emphasized their expertise and who they're, and um, the, the time availability they have for mentoring. And so you can tap into mentoring communities. And there's plenty to learn, um, and please don't hesitate to reach out. It's really, really important for you to feel like uh, you have a community, and you do. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much, and we'll put links to all of this, obviously, in the in the show notes. Thanks, the insurance, for taking your time. I really appreciate it. Thank you. It. Thank you for having me. And have a it's lovely awesome. rest of your day. Thanks so much. You too. Bye. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Mycelium Network Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, share it with your friends. Leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Have something to add? Continue the conversation on GitHub and join the community on Slack. Until the next one, keep making the web awesome.